I am so thrilled to bring you this week's episode where I've had a chat with Vanessa Stoikov, who is actually the founder and global CEO of Evolution Media Group. She has published two books, created and sold the largest video education portal for financial advisors, and made multiple award-winning TV productions with high-profile celebrities. Originally, she was a financial journalist. Vanessa is an inspirational female leader. I hope that you are able to take away the many insights that she has sent through her career and how personal style has made an impact, especially at the beginning of her journey. I'm Sonia, a personal brand and style coach. My journey began in the corporate world and through lived experiences, it's led me where I am today. I've walked in those uncomfortable shoes, faced the same challenges and questioned my path to professional success while simultaneously navigating my personal style journey and the changes each decade brings. I wholeheartedly believe in the fusion of personal brand and style strategy, as your personal style is actually intrinsically intertwined, not only with your executive presence, but who you really are. I've had the privilege of working with time-strapped female entrepreneurs and leaders just like you, assisting them in discovering their unique brand and style. My mission here is to provide you with practical, actionable strategies and lived experiences to help you unlock your next level of success through the power of personal brand and style. Whether you're already an experienced female professional or someone on the path to becoming one, if you're striving to create that next level of success that leaves a significant mark, you've found your place here. Let's get started. So welcome, Vanessa, to the Style and Strategy Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you join me on the show today. I've seen so many of the accomplishments that you've done over the years, and so it's a real thrill to have you here today and share some of your insights around your leadership journey, the multifaceted and I guess multidimension and our woman that you are is extremely inspiring. And I think our listeners or my listeners will get a lot out of your experience from both the personal brand style and your overall leadership journey. So why don't we start there? Can you maybe share with me a little bit around your leadership journey and how you got to where you are today? Sort of you've gone from sort of financial services journalism through to owning your own evolution media. And how has that really evolved you over the years? Well, it's probably scarred me deeply is the first thing I'll say. Still dealing with the PTSD of it all. But, and that's sort of serious. It's been a journey of a lot of fun, a lot of risk, and the older I've gotten, the more I've realised that and there's stories in that, which I'm happy to share today. But really it's been about dancing to my own tune, which I've loved. Like I love telling stories and I got into an industry that was just so intelligent and like the intellect of people that worked in financial services was quite extraordinary. So when I got in there I just thought, oh, my God, like these people know how to do so much. And it wasn't hard for me to make them appear beautiful or interesting or something that you would align to because I saw them that way. And I think in all the things I've done, whether it be write a book, make a TV show, run a PR client, my God, host an event, whatever it is, it's always the same thing. You know, that's the reflection, no matter the audience that I've been trying to do. And I've loved that. I've loved that. It's obviously been my purpose. Weirdly, no one gets born thinking that, you know, when you're on the cover of retirement 
plus or whatever. <laughs> it's like, this is not the kind of covers I thought I'd be on. <laughs> but at least it wasn't like Incontinence Weekly or something. <laughs> and yeah. so do you think through your journey, how do you think your personal style has really changed over that period of time? Well, you know, something really magical happened to me when I was in my 20s. I worked for a company called Zurich and I used to go into the mall at Chatswood Chase and in the city and I'd see this shop called Carla Zampatti and the clothes there just, honestly, I dreamt of them. Like I'd go home and I'd have these things in my head that I'd want and I never could have afforded it. But I ended up getting retrenched from Zurich and getting a $7,000 payout. And the first thing I did was go to Carla Zampatti and spend $3,500 on two outfits. I love it. <laughs> And I was sold hook, line and sinker. And I mean, I'm 50 now and that was my early 20s, like 22, 23. And over the years, I was lucky enough to like get to know Carla, to meet her, to have her on my show. And for the last 15 years, Carla Zampatti has dressed me. So my style, I mean, it was a dream come true. Like the person that you ogle in the mall and think, if only I could, to you know, I've got a massive archive wardrobe, which I look at and think, wow, like I'm so lucky. So because of that, that has influenced my style a lot because Carla makes business clothes, but Carla makes boss lady clothes. Yeah. And <laughs> Absolutely. I, when I was younger, wanted to be a boss lady and she helped me do that. I've got no doubt in my mind, me in my 20s and 30s rocking in in Carla outfits like you get a confidence in the way you look that makes you feel like you deserve you have a seat at the table. And when you're young, that's the thing. You can be pretty or handsome or interesting or clever, but you're young and you're in a very hierarchical business where the heads of those businesses are making millions of dollars and don't really want to hear from the junior. It's yeah. not that it's a sexist thing. It's do your time thing, which is any job like that. You have to do your time. You don't rock in at the top telling my kids that but I felt like those clothes gave me a competitive advantage so that's a very long-winded story but I still love Carla stuff wear Carla stuff you know I went to her son's house for chief executive women did a function at at her son Alex's house who runs the company like that's my dream because my three sons I always wanted to run my company and to be in the business from watching Bold and the Beautiful but that's a whole nother story I just (laughs) wanted to be the part I love that (laughs) Because the fashion there, wow. As, hey, as, that as was well. my motivation getting out of Canada. <laughs> I used to watch that show and be like, oh, I want to be the Foresters. And I always loved Brooke, but guess what? I feel like now I'm Stephanie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, not at all. I think I am, but it's okay. I kind of embrace it. And so, you know, you talk about the boardroom and, you know, being at a really early age, you know, being in that sort of environment and you touched on there to deserve to be there. And I know that for a lot of women, especially in industries where it's still predominantly, you know, male dominated, that to feel like you deserve to be there is something that takes a long time for us to get over. How do you think, you know, obviously clothes was one aspect of being able to be in that environment. How do you think, or what else was there, do you think that helped you get to the point where you felt like, yes, I actually deserve to be here because I've done the time 
and I know my stuff and actually I've got a, a voice and something to be said. That happened for me in my career in two phases. I was thinking as you were talking about that, if I'm going to be honest with people watching this and know that I'm 50 now and I've done this a long time, I think at first I wanted to be liked and I was liked. So that's the thing, right? I can be funny. I'm a little bit feral. Like I think being yourself is really attractive to leaders, but you can never expect to be able to pull your weight intellectually or, and I don't say that in a small way. I'm saying these are people that solve problems that you can't even dream of. Like they're just next level minds. And I wanted to be around that. And so being liked and understanding what they needed were the two things I worked on back then. Because if you can give people what they want, then they want you around and you deserve to be in the room. But it's been, you know, I've run my business and I'm in a communications business. So of course, I've always been up the front and spoken. And I think having the ability to be a public speaker has been intensely powerful. And I would Mm -hmm. say to people, it came to me very naturally. Like I sucked at sport. I was the person getting hit in the face with a softball, like picked last on all the teams in primary school. Remember, I come from Gunnedah, rural New South Wales, where sport was like akin to like the pub, Holden's. And I was the dunce, like not dunce, I was clever at school, but I sucked at sport. Mm. So when you suck at sport, suddenly I found debating and I was really good at public speaking. And I would say to people, hone that skill from a very young age. Mm. If it doesn't come naturally to you, who cares? Guess what? It's a learnt skill. Some people are naturals, but everyone can do it. And I would say the ability, I work on that with my sons. My sons are 20, 18 and 14 and they can all present themselves, you know, and I've taught them that by the way you carry yourself when you walk into a room, how you look people in the eye when you shake people's hands, the firmness of that Mm. confidence you go in with so that you do belong in that room before you even start and open your mouth. There's a lot to that, you know, but it's taught and it can be taught. Mm. I'm here to open it up to everyone. Everything I've ever done is about trying to give everyone a shot. From where I'm from, you help other people. That's what you do. So Mm. sharing the knowledge, sharing the ability that anyone can do that. And you've just got to have the moxie to do it. A lot of it comes down to, you know, we used to say balls, but I don't say that even though I am incredibly politically incorrect. But I actually know in my heart it doesn't take balls because I don't have them. It actually just takes this belief in yourself and you can't fake that, but you can do it. You just have to look at yourself and your skill set differently. And maybe if you haven't had people around you telling you you're awesome, you need to find some who can. Because like I grew up with a father who was always like anything I'd go in, oh, you are the most beautiful here. You are the winner. You're the best. Always. My father was Serbian. And When you grow up with someone who looks at you with this absolute certainty in their eyes, who's big and handsome and strong, that you are superb, you're like, yeah, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) Absolutely. And then you get out in the real world and realise they lied. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I suck. But somewhere along the way, if you didn't have that, you've got to be that self. And if you've got little kids, be that if you've got any kids or even friends, be that for other people. Because, you know, being a believer and a cheerleader in someone means so much in someone else's life. And I've always loved that. That's something that I am quite known for. I've got lots of, I say kids, they're all like 40, 50, whatever, like lots of different ages of people where I'm like, you're fucking awesome. 
And I mean it. And I get a real pleasure out of showing people what's beautiful about them. I think that's my skill. Like I can show what it is that I see and communicate it in a way that makes people go, wow, like that is me or that's not, I hadn't considered I could possibly be that. And that's cool. Yeah. I think that listening to you talk about that, it's where you've been really lucky to be able to have such amazing supportive network around you, which has then enabled you to then sort of take that forward and then spread that love and and that support, you know, across the board. So if you're thinking about that, how do you think that maybe your heritage and then growing up through Gunnada and sort of that influence has really shaped some of your leadership approach and defining sort of your brand as you've gone through? I think it's really influenced. And if you watch my website, you'll see me go back to Gunnada. Check it out. It's like a montage to me. But it's actually was great fun because I went and talked about all the ways I thought about money as a kid growing up in Gunnedah and how I felt now. When I filmed that, I had just sold my company and gotten $1.6 million in cash and was launching my own brand, had a book out. I was 45. But at the same time, my dad died in February and my book didn't come out till March. And so what I've told you about him means that when I had the most the most was taken away from me. Yeah. You're giving me goosebumps. It's that whole juxtaposition of it all. The one person that you probably really wanted to be able to share that experience. Oh, my God. Like the energy you would get from him, you know, my whole life has been about achieving. Mm. Show him. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so then touching on your career and the success you've had, you know, I loved the name of your book, because I'm a Breakfast Club fan. So, you know, and your focus on actually bringing out the conversation about money, because in the past, you know, I think even in the advice industry, we didn't really communicate well across the impact that it can actually make in people's lives. And people, sometimes people weren't as comfortable talking about it overall. And I would say that, you know, a lot of your career has been dedicated to that storytelling around money. So is there a pivotal moment where that fusion of sort of storytelling, creating impact with your audience to create more visibility around it, that sort of led to this significant shift? Do you know, as you were asking me that, I was sort of assessing in my mind the things that did happen, what would be the pivotal moment. Mm. I think I had a few and they were highs and lows. We created a show called The Bottom Line, which it was a leadership show and it was sponsored by CPA and led by Alex Malley. Now, if you go into Google it, Alex Malley was fired from the CPA and it was very scandalous at the time, but we owned half this TV show that I had built. But we ended up having people on it like Michael Parkinson and Jeffrey Archer and Bryce Courtney. We spent a day three months before he died and Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, Lindy Chamberlain, like Terry Irwin, people that you meet through this show. I had a real masterclass experience in filming that over those five years and a lot of deep learnings about it's actually <laughs> losing a lot of money too, but that's a whole nother story and some very hard learnings. But sitting and talking to that level of people, it led me to believe that anything is possible. So when you're sitting with Jeffrey Archer and he's telling you, I never know anything about when I'm going to write a story, it just comes out like, 
And yeah, I was going bankrupt when I wrote my first book. I don't recommend trying to get out of bankruptcy through a bestseller, but I did it. And you're kind of like, you know what? Like (laughs) these people are real. (laughs) So that happened. I think building a video training business for advisors in no more practice, which started with a reality TV show about financial advisors selling their business, because my girlfriend, who was my advisor, was pregnant and selling hers. And I'm like, I should film this. You're so stressed about this. And this is in the days when big licensees were gobbling up good financial planning practices and hers was. And she ended up selling for well over three million bucks off the back of that show. And that was my first show on financial planning. But then out of all the content I was trying to do, because I'd launched Evo TV, which was like seven channels, sustainability, financial planning, superannuation, daily news. And then I realized, Jesus, I can't pay for all this like five months in because I've always done that, right? I've spent my own money trying to create things that I can see, but that's been stupid. Like (laughs) I look now and realize most people who were men in business would have gone and raised capital to make that come true and not risk everything of their own. And every time I've built anything and I built the PR business and sold it, I built no more practice and sold it. I talked about I've sold show formats for six-figure sums. I've done a lot of deals and I've been good at making money, but I've always spent that money on the next thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've always wanted to see. And for a long time that worked for me because everything I touched turned to gold. And then it didn't. And nothing I was doing was winning. And I was like, oh, I have over invested and taken too much risk and I'm a money educator that's really sad like <laughs> but I'm, I'm not I'm a storyteller <laughs> and I'm trying to get people to see these things right and I know if I build it good enough that they'll get it but commercial reality says you have to build things that people want to pay for so you can keep yeah. going and so I had to really assess my business and look at how I work with people now in partnerships and what value do I bring to the table? Because at the end of the day, anyone can have a production company, anyone can get on-screen talent that's younger and fresher than me. Mm. Not even that, like that being on TV was never my end goal. If any medium I love the most, it's probably either speaking to people or writing. Television's powerful because if you can do good TV, people get immersed in your story and they become invested in you. Yeah, and they feel like they know you and that assumed intimacy is bloody hard to get as a brand it's actually well actually a few brands have got that level of like nike or if you look at the apple there's yeah. brands that have transcended to become personalities but not many yeah it, you do find especially now in terms of that the brand piece it's absolutely who do the individuals trust you know so if a business is doing something then they'll always want to understand who's that person behind that brand. And if they're not willing to show themselves, have a conversation, put their values out there and communicate that, then there's a level of, I'm not sure. Let me think again before uh, maybe taking that next step with them. Yeah, exactly. And particularly in financial services, right? Like I have lived my life, you know, with honour, I would say in business, that's one word I use. And a friend of mine, Dan Campbell, shout out, always talked about honour. And it's a great word and it's not everywhere, you know, like if you honour with money, honour in business, honour your word, deliver what you say you will, admit when you are wrong. All those things are just decency, you know, (laughs) like it's not hard, but you have to do it to keep a brand and a reputation. And then one day I've been in the industry 27 years now, you realise that a lot of your friends run these big companies and 
they know you deliver for them or mm. they'll put your kid in an internship, whatever it is, you're suddenly in a place of trust, but you're someone who can be trusted. And that's the biggest message I would say, be that and things will come to you. Even yeah. when you have to act and everyone else isn't, act with honour. When my youngest son and I are watching the Walking Dead series and it's, you know, you see the society disintegrate because people are all zombies eating each other and then people are like killing other people and it just brings out the worst in humanity. And I'm like, well, it's harder to be the person who makes life better for people, but it's infinitely more rewarding. Yeah. No, I love those five sort of tips around that because fundamentally, if you know, you're trying to build that personal brand. A lot of people think that that will happen overnight, but it's not an overnight journey. It's yeah. something that's got to be really worked at and you've got to demonstrate and deliver to it over, you know, a number of years and time, I think overall. You think of it at the time and you're like, this is taking forever. And then yeah. you suddenly realise, hey, this has been going on <laughs> for <laughs> years. What? So it does go fast. So really as a leader, within the industry, how do you believe that personal style can actually potentially play an initial tool for female leaders? I think male or female, don't make any mistake, a well-dressed man is a very attractive thing. So I say that to all, having a personal style and a personal brand is really crucial if you want your career to be on an up trajectory. Because in business, in life, you're always selling yourself. I don't care what you say, you are. And if you're not, then no one's buying or everyone wants to buy because you don't have to sell yourself. And lucky you, they're the unicorns, right? So, but if you're not a unicorn and you want to go somewhere, it's just part of your armor or your toolkit. Like, you know, don't see it as defining who you are entirely. It doesn't have to be, but it's a part of you and develop it. And if you don't know, like I've had, Interior designers come and do my offices again, spending money stupidly, but you're seeing a theme here. But I wanted things to be beautiful and I knew I wasn't good enough to make it look like that. And I had this amazing terrace in Milson's Point and it looked, people would walk in and go, wow. And But I was only 12 grand of furniture hire. Like yeah, it wasn't like I was spending $200,000, but I needed her to tell me how to, what to source and how to make it look. Yeah. And that's style and brand. And I've had Carla. It hasn't been me going, oh, I'll make this clothes myself. I had no idea. But you find a style that suits you and you go with that, stick with that. Like you don't have to keep reinventing yourself into something. The older you get, you more want to deepen into your style, you know, and be kind of like, I like it. My kids know when I walk in because of the perfume I wear, there's only a few perfumes I wear or you know, the way you do things as you get older becomes your signature move, which is why I said I'm becoming more Stephanie Forrester than Brooke Logan. But that's okay. Like to be the matriarch is a cool yeah. thing. No, that definitely does resonate. And I love the way you've described to deepen your style because absolutely, you know, I see sometimes with individuals that I talk to around it is they think that they constantly need to reinvent. You can well, reinvent awesome. when you feel like you're changing, but you know, not for the sake of reinvention or trend or anything like that. Look, if um, you're Madonna and you're making your money <laughs> off that, then yes, you need <laughs> that pressure on yourself. But if you're not, then just keep deepening and refining it, you know, yeah. and find new influences that you go, I like what you're wearing or looking like or smelling like or, and it's not just what you wear, you know, it's a yeah. whole lot of things. It's about everything to do with 
the perception of others about you, but also your perception of yourself. No, beautiful. So three quick questions for you. I think I know the answer to this one, but what is your go-to signature piece that you feel truly represents your brand and is an essential part of your wardrobe? Oh, you know, well, I've talked so much about Carla. Let's just move <laughs> on from that. You know what I've got, which totally represents me, and I wear it every day. I've got a black silk robe, and it was quite expensive, not crazy, maybe 450 bucks, but enough that I respect this thing. But I've had it years, but it's a black silk. It's a bit bold and the beautiful, I know. But when I put that on, I go to have my shower on that. It's elegant. It's You could be anywhere living the dream, and I'm just putting on a robe. So that is one of my go-tos. Amazing transformational read so someone who's looking for inspiration what book either are you currently reading or listening to or some one that's maybe had an impact on okay I'm gonna tell you what everyone's like what I've just read this book called the fourth wing and then the other one now I'm not saying this out of no one else is looking at this book because it's number three on the New York Times bestseller list but it's in the fantasy genre and it's got some really sexy bits in it like the sexy bits are very steamy and it's (laughs) got dragons in it and there's a sexy guy and a sexy girl doing sexy things it's a rollicking read (laughs) (laughs) i love it it's it's the transformational read but on a different level (laughs) christmas time if you're looking for an escape but i love fantasy i love lord of the rings the hobbit like you know, Harry Potter, like we are a family who's gone to all those bloody Harry Potter world and Disneyland <laughs> and all that, you know, living in that fantasy. So, yeah, it may not be for everyone. I'll preface that. <laughs> okay, noted. That's on my Christmas wish list now because I'm a fantasy person too. So, <laughs> and then finally, mindset ritual. We all have those days where we need an extra boost. So what's a quick mindset ritual or something that helps you feel empowered and ready to tackle everything? Okay, Alexa, Echo Dot, like I got it very cheap at JB Hi-Fi. I wake up and I say, Alexa, play meditation music. Bing, she turns on. I've got an atomizer my son gave me with this calm like rose and lilac thing. I put that on, it blows out smoke. I walk to the kitchen, I get my coffee, take all my vitamins and come back pull out my journal and write. And then I listen to a wealth affirmation every day after I write in my journal. And that's how I start my days. I actually, it's because my kids are older. <laughs> like you can't do that when you've got little kids. That sounds like a dream. But as they get older and they want to sleep or they're gone, you can. And that is a really good way to start the day. If you can get that bit in the morning that gets out what you're thinking and worrying about on the journal, And then writing down things you're grateful for, I'm like five things, 10 things. Sometimes I'll fill a whole page if I'm really going for it. But it does change your mood. When you start to think of things you're grateful for, I'm like, I love this doona, that cat's really cute. Like, And after a while, (laughs) you do notice more stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty good. So those things help. It sort of helps you face everything else that's coming along. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Vanessa. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. And I am sure our listeners and my listeners will get a huge amount of value out of that. You've been completely inspirational and I look forward to sharing this episode. Thanks. That was fun. Thank you so much for being part of this inspiring episode. If you found value in today's discussion, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with a friend on social media, tag me at Your Style Collective and leave a review. Your support means the world. 
Join me again next week for another empowering episode of Style and Strategy, the leadership series. Thanks so much for tuning in. And remember, you're already taking that first step towards your transformation journey. See you next time.